Welcome to the I Can Podcast, where we discuss all things blindness related, including, but not limited to, technology, issues, and other topics. I hope you enjoy. This episode, we're talking financial literacy and independence. Don't forget, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, such as included, but not limited to, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the latest models of the Victor Reader. Hi, I'm Brandy Kubel. Careers Plus is designed for young adults and high school students to prepare for high school, middle school, college, and their career of choice. The goal of this podcast is to advocate and educate while fostering a sense of confidence in youth to pursue college and the careers of their choice through interactive, dynamic learning experiences. My name is Ana Wisma. I'm Lex Ariola. Hi, my name is Patricia Figueroa. My name is Pavel Castro. Okay. My name is Lisa Lloyd. Hello, my name is Alexander Spell. I am Natalie Charles. So, my name is Aaron Espinoza. Hi, my name is Rocco. My name is Logan Barantes. I'm Charlene. My name is Randy Owen. Hi, my name is Anjali. I am the music composer for this podcast. Please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell to never miss any of our uploads. Now, on to our episode. Last month, during our weekly Thursday meeting, Careers Plus welcomed Chris and Liz from Penny Forward for what was a fun and fantastic interactive Zoom conversation, all about the real deal of managing money like a pro. Penny Forward is a nonprofit that's all about financial empowerment for the blind community. The Penny Forward team of visually impaired leaders is here to make our money matters easier to tackle. And they've got some amazing tools to help. They've got a great website, an inspiring podcast, and a very easy to use app. Penny Forward's mission is simple. We wanna make sure you're financially secure and comfortable. We're your go-to team for learning how to make, handle, and grow your money. During the October 12th meeting, we chatted about tracking or spending, making a plan, mastering the art and product, how to set yourself up for a bright financial future through saving and invest investing. How to keep your money safe from people who may not have your best interest at heart. And much, much more. And now on to our conversation with Penny Forward. So very excited that you guys are here and, um, and looking forward to this. So without uh, any hesitation, please, um, Chris and Liz, take it over. Okay, thank you. I'm Chris yeah. Peterson, as we said before, and I am the founder and the CEO, which stands for Chief Executive Officer of a nonprofit organization called Penny Forward. Penny Forward is an organization that was founded and is led by blind people, and our mission is to help blind people to learn to manage their money. Um, so we teach about a lot of different things, including, um, making money through employment or through running a business or both, uh, managing our money wisely and also growing our money by saving it for, uh, either a rainy day or a very, very sunny day where something big and, and important comes up and you don't want to miss it. Um, 
the what I thought that we would do this evening, um, because I have my uh, colleague Liz Botner on the call with us as well, is I thought that uh, Liz and I would talk a little bit about our careers um, because we are both blind and those things might be of interest to you. And then we'll give a little bit of a talk about wise money management skills and some things that you might want to know um, as you start to become more independent. And then I thought we would open it up for some questions at the end. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Okay. Sounds great. So let me uh, let me talk a little bit about my careers. And then I'll turn it over to Liz and and she'll do the same. So I am 45 years old. I graduated from high school in 1996. And I uh, went to, I I basically had um, kind of three different sets of jobs. Uh, When I was 16 or 17 years old, I happened to be at a local small computer store with uh, a friend of mine who worked there. And the owner of the store came up and was chatting with us. And sort of towards the end of the conversation, he said, you know, my son is blind. Would you like to have a job here? And that was how I got my first uh, my first job. And I tell you that because no matter who you are, no matter what your your abilities are and your talents are, I believe that there is work out there for you and there are ways to make money. And it really starts with getting out and getting to know people and building relationships with people because uh, there are people that are going to be in your corner that want to help you succeed and are willing to uh, help you to try to learn to do something new. And that's what happened with me. And while that job didn't last very long, it gave me a big confidence boost, um, knowing that I could get a job and, uh, and do a good job at it even before I got out of high school. I then, um, for a very short time thought I wanted to go into radio broadcasting and I had applied to uh, go to a radio broadcasting school. Uh, but I decided at the last minute that I was not really ready to do that yet. And I had found another job sort of related to radio uh, through a hobby that I still am involved in. I'm I'm a ham radio operator and uh, a ham radio organization near me happened to have a job open and someone let me know about it and I applied for it and I and I got it and I worked there for two years. And then I decided to go to college. And I decided to go to college because I met a girl who was going to the college that I ended up going to and we fell in love and, and uh, I wanted to be close to her. That led me down the path of, of having to choose a college degree. So I had always enjoyed computers. I decided to get uh, pursue a college degree in computer science, and I did pretty well at it and graduated and worked as a uh, computer programmer, a software developer for about 20 years for companies like IBM and Lenovo. Perhaps you have heard of those companies. 
But as sometimes happens when you get a little bit older, uh, I got a little bit bored with my with my software development career. And I noticed that I really enjoyed helping other blind people with things related to money. Uh, one of the first times that I got an opportunity to do this was when a friend was offered a job in a different state. And um, she wanted to uh, wanted some help to figure out how she could actually move from the state she lived in to this other state and take this job. It was going to cost quite a bit of money to make the move. And uh, it was uh, a type of job she had never done before. And and so I helped her to navigate a lot of those details to, uh, to figure out how to pay for the move, to figure out how to rent an apartment, um, and uh, to figure out how to pay for all of that stuff with her first few pay- paychecks when she started her job. Um, from there, I thought I might become a financial advisor. And as I looked at what a financial advisor is supposed to do, I realized that I really enjoyed teaching. And so for the last three years now, I've been working on building Penny Forward because I really want to teach people like you how to make good money decisions so that you can live lives that uh, where you feel safe and where you feel comfortable and where you have the resources to do the things that you want to do. So that's a little bit about me. Now I'll turn it over to Liz and Liz, why don't you talk about your uh, various jobs and careers and and how you got here? Sure. Thank you, Chris. Uh, And also thanks for having us on. I appreciate being here. Uh, my name is Liz Botner. As I said previously, I am in Washington, D.C. I have not always been here, however. Uh, I grew up near here in Delaware. Uh, and in growing up in Delaware, I, uh, as a middle school and high school student, had various summer jobs, uh, mainly teaching students uh, assistive technology because that was my and is my true passion is technology it's opened up a lot of doors for me and I want to help others realize what it can do for them Uh, and that looks different for every single one of us and that is fine Uh, so I my teacher the visually impaired was instrumental in my early years in middle school and high school in helping me find jobs related to teaching technology and getting experience and things like that. I also taught Braille during some of that as well. Uh, So I, in graduating high school, already had some experience in working under my belt, which was a good thing. Uh, I then uh, went straight to college. I knew that I wanted to do that. And so I, but I also knew that I needed to get out of state. I am a triplet. So I have two sisters who are the same age as I am. Uh, I myself I am blind due to retinopathy of of prematurity uh, due to being born premature and having too much oxygen when I was younger. I was quite sick as a young, young child. Um, And I kind of explain it this way. The doctors had a choice between saving my sight or saving my life. And they chose to save my life. And I am forever grateful. Uh, So I went away from Delaware. I went to upstate New York to Ithaca College. 
and actually double majored in uh, computer science and philosophy and religion. That was a double major. The philosophy and religion was a double major. Uh, Ithaca was an, an amazing experience in terms of college. I've had many different friends there, made many different professor connections. Unfortunately, it was really expensive. And so I, midway through my college career there, I decided to make the smart decision and transfer back to Delaware, uh, where I finished out my college undergrad degree or years slash degree and uh, graduated from the University of Delaware, which was not academically the best experience. Uh, I But I graduated and I saved money, which was good. Um, and I my degree was in philosophy uh, with a religious studies minor. They did have computer science, but my experience with the professors there was not really that great in terms of being accommodated for what I needed. And so I took the path of least resistance, less stress, and just finished my philosophy degree. Uh, they did not have a religion major, and so I majored minored in that. Um, and then I decided that after I graduated college in 2008, I would kind of take a year or so off maybe and get some work experience before I wanted to go into grad school because I knew I wanted to do that. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to go in for yet, but I did want to go into grad school. Uh, didn't end up happening the way that I thought. I did not have, I, although I had interviews and you know had applied to different jobs, I never had an offer. And so the first two years out of out of undergrad, I was building experience in terms of living on my own and doing the things that I needed to do to become more independent, not working, but I could not get work and was starting to get really frustrated. And everything in terms of the jobs that I saw that I really wanted to do did require a master's degree. I wanted to do a job related to assistive technology and teaching. Teaching was always important to me. Uh, uh, and so I decided to get a master's degree. And I saw on an email listserv, believe it or not, a posting and an advertisement sort of a thing for uh, Northern Illinois University. They offered a degree in vision rehabilitation teaching, uh, which is kind of what I wanted to go into. Uh, they also offered that degree at little to no cost, which was amazing because I did not want to take out any more loans to further my schooling. I was already paying off my undergrad loans. And so I applied to Northern Illinois University. I spoke with the person who ended up being my academic advisor and said, I know there is no degree right now in assistive technology, but that is really and truly my passion. So is there any way that I could add that on as an extra curricular, not extra curricular, but an extra specialization. And the advisor was super thrilled and supportive. And so I took, and I, so I, he said, absolutely, we can do an independent study. So, you know, come on, apply, let's see what happens. I applied, took the GRE and did get accepted to Northern Illinois University. I had an uh, in addition to my coursework, I had an independent study semester of courses that no one else has on their transcript because I decided what I wanted to study and came up with the topics and got approval from my advisor for that. Um, and I I'd had that extra coursework in assistive technology. Um, I And then I graduated from my master's degree in 2012 
in that, I also completed an internship at the Veterans Administration. Uh, so I worked wow. with veterans who are blind or who have low vision and taught them in the area of life skills, because at the time, that's what my degree was focusing on, because they did not have the technology c- component that they do now. Um, and so I uh, graduated with a master's and then went to Illinois, or no, sorry, not Illinois. I went to Atlanta, Georgia, and had never been there before in my life, but took a job as an assistive technology specialist at a nonprofit in Atlanta, was there for a year. While I was there, I got my certification in vision rehab therapy. Uh, so I am certified to teach uh, life skills to blind and low vision individuals. Uh, after a year there, I uh, that did not end up um, panning out as long as I wanted that job uh, due to nothing I had done. It was just part of the, the experience. Uh, so I no longer had that job. And several months after that, I went back to Connecticut. And I say back to Connecticut because that is where I did my internship at the Veterans Administration in uh, as part of my master's. And I was worked there um, from 2013 to tw- uh, 2021 uh, as a uh, blind rehab specialist teaching assistive technology and life skills both. Uh, I then transitioned in late 20, December of 2021 to, I transferred to Washington, D.C. to be closer to my family. And also I took a job with the Veterans Administration in Washington, D.C. While that job was a good job, it just was not what I thought it was going to be. And so four months after um, taking that job, I uh, transitioned to a different job, which was back in the technology space, which is where I really wanted to be. Um, And I was doing work with evaluating websites and documents for accessibility to make sure that anyone with a disability could use them and they wouldn't get stuck in keyboard traps or when you're tabbing through something on a website and it just says button, 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 if you're, Mm. if it says anything at all. Uh, So I, I did that for a little bit of time. And then fast forward to the end of last year, uh, where I then saw a posting for an assistive technology specialist opening at the National Library Service at the Library of Congress. And I applied for that because I have never regretted anything in life and did not want to start then. And that that job had my name on it, honestly, without actually having my name on it. I truly believe that. Fantastic. I applied for that job and I um, have been there as the AT specialist with NL- for NLS since April. Um, it's an honor and a privilege. Um, and I'm, if any of you aren't familiar with NLS, the National Library Service and the, the services that it does offer blind, low vision and print, disabi- dis- print disabled individuals, I'm happy to talk about that at some point uh, during this presentation. Uh, because I think that if, you, if people are not signed up as patrons there is no reason to not be it is a free service um also in addition to my certification as a vision rehab therapist when i was in connecticut doing my blind rehab job there i did get certified as a sort of as a an assistive technology instructional specialist so i have both certifications under my belt as well and then i am in terms of penny forward i am the current vice president of the board um i was got involved with that um, by asking Chris about something completely unrelated to wanting to help. And he 
said that absolutely I could do that, but he actually saw me as helping in a different capacity and the rest was honestly history. And I am truly grateful and have said that many times for his realizing my potential beyond what I thought I could do. Uh, and it's it's been an honor and a privilege and I have learned so much personally and professionally in doing what I have been doing and will hopefully continue to do for Penny Forward. It's been, it's been fun. Uh, so that is generally me in a nutshell. Um, I will turn it over to Chris. Thank Unless you we should so open it up for questions. I don't know. I, I just want to say the power of preemies. Yes. <laughs> I'm a preemie myself, so I have ROP as well. Fantastic. Um, although back when I got it, they call it retrolental fibroplasia. And then they changed it just about the yes. time I learned to spell it. They uh, When I was two years old, apparently, I could say that long word. I don't know why. Know. Uh, but yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, a bit of trivia. Anyway, both um, of you guys, it's great. Thank you. So I guess we can move into the. Um, uh, should we open up for questions now or leave them to the end? I don't know how this works. Sure. Anybody got any questions? Just on our careers in general. Anushma, oh. you had a question. Excuse me. Do you have a guide dog, or do either of you have a guide dog? Do you? We actually, yes, thanks for asking. We both have, well, actually, I currently actively do have a guide dog. Uh, Chris, I'll let you speak for yourself. I do too, but my guide dog is retired and I am um, waiting for uh, for my next guide dog. I put in, some, I put in applications, but um, I don't have a, a date to go to class yet. So yeah, if, if you have questions about guide dogs, I think either of us would be happy to answer them. And I don't know if any of you are into sports at all or running or things like that, but I mention that because my current guide dog uh, is a guiding eyes for the blind running guide dog. So in addition um, to guiding me regularly, she is certified to uh, complete small races with me and run for training as well. So that's where I was looking at getting my next guide was from guiding eyes just um, also because I have hearing loss. And um, and also because I'm looking for um, a dog that can do uh, activities like that. So yeah, well, I was looking at. I'm happy eyes. to connect off here and that would be great. Fantastic, definitely. Um, I just want to comment. This is Natalie, but I am a patron of NLS. Um, Yay! Could speak. <laughs> yeah, let's speak to that. Um, Brandy and Lisa, I love to read. I have tons of books. And I also have the NLS e-reader. Fantastic. Um, and so I have books on hard copy and Braille. But did you teach Braille for long? Because I'm actually looking to get certified in Braille. Um, I, for young kids and kids in general. Yes, I, I have taught Braille um, for quite a number of years. Not consecutively, but here and there. Um, and there is a Braille certification program that is out there for uh, yeah. for you to become certified and it's it's a transcription program there's also a proofreader program that's separate from that uh, but, but thanks for asking what, yeah because that's what i my career is gonna be well it kind of is because i already helped a couple students with braille all right awesome well, good any other questions Liz, I have a question for you, Lisa. So sure. I'm just curious with your background, are you helping 
um, Chris with ac- accessibility and the Penny Forward website, or um, I heard you say you're uh, the VP of the board. So I'm just curious to know what kind of work is involved exactly for you in terms of Penny Forward. Um, a lot of things. <laughs> I do help with accessibility. I co-host the podcast. I, I don't know, do other things that I'm probably forgetting right now. Um, but um, all all of the above, I guess, <laughs> that you mentioned. Uh, yeah, she. Um, so she she is the co-host of the podcast. She is the vice president of the board, which means that she would be my successor if I weren't able to continue to work um she has great leadership skills and um and yes she I also, also don't does. have good skills talking about myself <laughs> <laughs> um that's true we're working on it um but uh she she also has helped out with the accessibility of the website and we also have an app uh, um and she's helped out with the accessibility of the app as well so um, because of my background okay. as well with the Veterans Administration, I have also helped out with some outreach in terms of that, uh, which has been helpful. Yeah. I was just going to mention my other daughter here who's very shy and never wants to speak up. Liz, she said your voice would be great for like reading uh, books or audio description um, because oh, your voice is you. so calming and it's so clear. Thank you. I was going to say that too, but I got embarrassed. No, thank you. No I need. Actually, I actually also thought of that too. Well, I as as Chris and I both said, I do quote. We do have a podcast. It's the Penny Forward podcast, available on your podcast platform of choice, uh, and so you can listen to the podcast. Maybe we can send out a link for that um, in an email, Brandy. So our students can access it? Yes, for sure. We also have come up with, and I don't think we'll talk about them at, on this particular call just because it might take away from other things, but we actually did put together a list of further reading uh, books. They're all on, uh, they're all with, available in at NLS. They're probably available at other avenues if you're not an NLS patron, uh, but they are available. Most of them are audio. Some of them are Braille. But for those who might want further reading on managing your money and being independent with money, I did think today to come up with several titles of, of books. Uh, so we could send that as well as the link to the podcast if that would be helpful. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Should we talk a little bit about money for a little bit? Indeed. Yes. All right. So I thought it was important for Liz and I both to talk about our careers and the jobs that we've worked and the places that we've lived and things like that, because um, there's a kind of a running theme through all out all of that, which is making money. It's something that many of us want to do we we hope that we are able to make enough money to to live comfortably uh to be able to afford the things we need and the things we want and even to help other people by uh either giving them gifts or giving them money or 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 giving to organizations that have helped us in the past these are just a few things that we might do with our money 
And you're all at the age right now where uh, it would it's a really good idea to start thinking about how you might handle your money in a wise way uh, when you start to make more of it. And I believe that you all will start to make more of it when uh, uh, when you start to to do more work. Um, uh, some of you said you were uh, study you were college students, and so I believe that those those uh, degrees will turn into jobs. But uh, it isn't always necessarily uh, necessary to go to to college either in order to find uh, good paying jobs. Um, and uh, so. Uh, if college isn't the right path for you, uh, that doesn't mean that you are destined to be poor either. Um, I thought it was also important for you to hear that it isn't always easy. Um, sometimes it's hard to find jobs. Sometimes we do have to move to places we've never been before. And that can be scary, uh, especially when you've never done it before. Uh, but it also can be very rewarding. And if Liz can do it, and if I can do it, then so can you. So I want to encourage you to be open-minded to the possibilities. As you start to have more of your own money, uh, you are going to want to put it into some sort of a bank account to keep it safe, if for no other reason. I learned this when I was about 16 years old and somebody had given me $100 for Christmas. And it was all in $20 bills and cash. I didn't even have a wallet to put that money in. And so I got home and I put it on uh, some flat surface in my bedroom and I forgot about it until I wanted something that was going to cost me over $100. And then I remembered, hey, I got this $100 for Christmas. I wonder where that is now. And I couldn't find it because I couldn't remember where I put it. And I ended up spending the entire day tearing apart my room to find these uh this hundred dollars in twenty dollar bills which thankfully was clipped together with a paper clip so it was all in one place but uh uh i i remember feeling panicked feeling like i wasn't going to be able to get what i wanted and i remember feeling kind of ashamed of myself for having lost that much money because that was more money than i had really ever had before at, at that point in my life so one of the reasons to use banks is to put money in a safe place where we can always find it again. Um, there are other reasons to put money in banks um, that Liz will talk with you more about when we start to talk about saving later on. Later on. But I, I want to throw out there that that is why we use banks. Another reason that we use banks is because they can help us keep track of the money that we make and the money that we spend. When you are spending cash, it can be difficult to keep track of how much money we brought in and how much money we uh, we spent on things and where we spent it. But you can do it. 
And if you are mostly using cash, I recommend that you do do it. You keep track of your, what we call your income. That's the money you make and what we call your spending or the money that you, uh, that you are uh, giving away to buy the things that you need or the things that you want. You can do that in any way that makes sense for you and that is convenient. You can do it in Braille. You can do it in in uh, audio. If you are used to recording things in audio, you can do it in print. If you are a, a, a print reader, um, you can use electronic technology like a, a, a note taker or even a smartphone. Lots of different ways. But really the kinds of things that you want to keep track of are the day that you spent the money, so the date, um, the amount that you spent, and the thing that you spent it on. On Tuesday, I spent $2 on ice cream. On Saturday, I spent $1.50 on a bottle of Coke. This is the kinds of thing that you want to keep track of. Why is this important? Well, it's important because later on, you are going to want to create a spending plan. A spending plan gets really important when you start to live on your own and you have bills to pay. You need to make sure that you can pay your rent. You need to make sure that you can pay for electricity, for heat or air conditioning, for food, for clothing, for transportation to get to and from work or school. And it's important to make sure that you have enough money for, for all of these things. And a spending plan can help you to make sure that you are setting aside money for the things that you need instead of letting it all go away on things that you want. Some people call a spending plan a budget. And uh, we like the term spending plan a little bit better because it it more clearly describes what you're doing. You're, you're saying, I plan to spend $1,000 a month on rent. I plan to spend $250 a month on groceries. I plan to spend $100 a month on my electricity bill and $50 a month on my cell phone bill and $30 a month on my internet bill. And I have $500 left and I need to uh, I need to make sure that I decide what I'm going to use that money for. Some of it is going to be money that you'll use for things you want to do or things that you want to have. Um Entertainment, clothing, uh, that maybe you know more more fancy clothing or clothing that you you want rather than you really need. Um, uh, transportation, uh, it is pretty inexpensive and can be a very good thing to take things like buses and trains and paratransit. However, sometimes it can be more convenient to take taxis or uber or lyft or things like that and it would be nice if you could set aside some money so that you knew that you could afford some of those things um as well uh, because that's what 
living a secure and comfortable life is all about is is uh feeling like you have the money to do the things you need to do and to pay for the things that you need to pay for to survive but also to be able to do the things you want to do at least some of them and to be able to have the things you want to have or at least some of them so spending plan helps us do that um what does a spending plan look like well it looks a lot like what i described before when you uh when you track your spending um at least at first you might plan to spend the same amount that you already spend on the things that you're already buying or that you're already paying for but over time you might decide i'm spending too much on my cell phone bill or i'm spending too much on my internet bill i want this to be cheaper or you know what i'm going out to eat a lot and i'm spending a lot of money there maybe i'm not going to go out to eat as often because it's important to me to have money for something else and that's where your spending plan can start to to look different from the uh uh the uh spending that you tracked um it helps you to uh it helps you to decide what you're going to spend in the future as opposed to what you're spending in the present today um another very important thing that you uh may find a, a need or a want for at some point in the next few years is uh credit some people talked about student loans that is a form of credit um one of the things that we uh start to realize that we have access to when we start to move out onto our own is the ability to apply for credit cards and credit cards are uh, a tool but they're a pretty dangerous tool and so i want to tell you a little bit about how credit cards work when you use a credit card when you spend money with a credit card you borrow money from the bank and you have to pay that money back the bank sends you a bill called a credit card statement at the end of the month and that statement will tell you how much money you spent and it'll give you the opportunity to pay um, a small amount of that money back or to pay all of it back it's better if you pay all of it back because as you start to use credit cards you start to develop a credit history there are three companies in the united states their names are experian equifax and transunion but it doesn't matter if you don't remember those names after tonight at least not yet when you spend money on credit cards or when you apply for credit cards or other types of loans that activity is sent by your banks to those three credit bureaus and they keep track of it and when you apply for another credit card or another loan later in life the banks go and ask the credit bureaus how did chris do with his credit has he paid his bills on time has he paid the money back that he said he was supposed to pay back how much money does he still owe can he afford to pay me back for the money that he's about to borrow from me so 
it's a little bit like, you know, if you treat your friends well, if you treat your friends nicely and you're good to them, they're going to tell their friends that you're a good person. If you treat people badly and you're not nice to them, well, then people aren't going to want to be around you because they've heard from their friends that you treated them badly, right? So this is essentially a way of banks telling each other whether you've treated them well or treated them badly. If you've paid your bills on time, you've treated them well. If you haven't paid your bills on time, then you've treated them badly. And unfortunately, it doesn't matter whether it was your fault if you couldn't pay your bills on time. This is why it's so important to be very careful with credit. When you borrow money using a credit card or when you take out a loan, you may think that you're going to be able to pay those bills on time, but you do want to think about what might happen if you can't, because that could ruin your credit reputation with other banks and make it harder to uh, to borrow money again in the future. Um, as those uh, credit activities end up in in the credit bureaus, they build what's called a credit report. Um, you can get access to your own credit reports. Uh, you can do that for free. It doesn't cost any money. There's actually a phone number you can call and you could give them your name and your address and some other information about you. And they'll send you your credit report in Braille or on an audio CD. And there's also ways to get access to your credit report online. It's a good idea for you to look at this once in a while, at least once every few months especially when you start using credit cards. But even if you're not using credit cards, it's maybe a good idea for you to take a look at this anyway to see um, to see whether maybe somebody else has tried to borrow money using your name. Liz will talk about this in a little bit more detail later on. But here are the five things that uh, you need to do when you start to use credit in order to... Uh, in order to stay safe and also to uh, have a good reputation with the banks. Number one, when you owe money to the credit card companies, pay your bills on time every time. And if you possibly can, pay the entire amount that you owe instead of a smaller amount. But if you can't pay the entire amount, pay as much as you can, as quickly as you can. Why? Because when you borrow money from uh, from banks, they charge you extra money called interest the longer you uh, the longer you wait to pay that money back. So you actually start to lose money if you don't pay your bills on time. and you start to get a bad reputation with other banks. Um, the next thing is, is you want to only use credit when you absolutely have to. It It's really important not to borrow any more money than you absolutely need. Um, borrowing too much money can also ruin your reputation with banks, and it can make it harder to borrow money again if you need it for something later. And it costs you money because you have to pay uh, to pay it back. Um the third thing is, is that there's lots of different types of credit. And 
as you get older and as you use credit more, banks want to see you use all of the different types of credit that are available to you. Credit cards are just one type of credit. Uh, Another type is called installment loans. Installment loans are uh, where a bank lends you money um, and they tell you you have to pay a certain amount uh, towards that loan for a certain amount of time every month. Maybe I borrow $5,000 and I have to pay $100 a month for the next five years to pay that $5,000 back. Something like that. That's an installment loan. Um, They also want to see that you spend money on different types of things. Um, Well, not every blind person has a need to own a car. Some of us buy cars. Some of us marry people who can see or have relationships with people who can see, and that might be why we buy cars. But even if we don't do that, some of us buy cars and then hire people to drive them for us. Um, so it's not impossible to think that some of you may choose to buy a car at some point, and some of you may choose to buy a home at some point, and you usually need to take out a loan for that. So that mix of different types of loans or different types of credits, um, and being able to, to show the banks that you can pay them off wisely and on time every time helps to improve your reputations with the, your reputation with the bank. Um, and then there's the amount of time that you've been using credit for. As you get older, you will have used, you will have used credit longer. And uh, so you uh, will develop more of a, either a good reputation with the banks or a bad reputation with the banks. This is all, Uh, As some of you may have heard, this is all uh, boiled down to something called a credit score, which banks use to make quick decisions about whether whether it's safe for them to lend you money or not. And so if you pay all your bills on time, you only borrow money a little bit, you borrow for different types of things, um, you keep paying your bills on time for a long time. Um, oh, and I'm sorry, I kind of, uh, just lost my train of thought here. Um, uh, you, uh, you, you, uh, pay all your bills on time every time. Um, then, uh, uh, you will develop a higher credit score. Your credit score will go up. So that's a little bit about credit a tool that can be a very powerful tool, but also a very dangerous tool. Um, and one that you want to be very careful with, especially when you're getting started. Um, now I'm going to turn it over to Liz and Liz is going to talk about uh, saving and investing and also how to keep your money safe from people who may or may not have your best interests at heart. Chris, before we transition, can I just ask a quick question? I heard yeah, you please. talk. Okay, I heard you talk about needs and wants, mm-hmm. and I know that's an area where I got a little confused when I was a student growing up, and I was using credit cards for some needs instead of some wants, and that got a little bit out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, have that something that 
you have seen with with students and young people? And what would you advise to prevent that from happening? How do you tell the difference between what's a need and what's a want? I, I felt really confused about that when I was young. That can be very confusing because you can, um, it, it can feel often like you need something when in reality you really want it. Um, so when we talk about things you need, we're really talking about things that if you didn't have them, you wouldn't be able to survive. Um, we're talking about housing, basic housing, housing that keeps you warm and dry and safe, but not necessarily uh, housing that you know has lots and lots of rooms and is a big mansion. We're talking about food. But we might not be talking about gourmet food. We, we're talking about simple, healthy food that um, is keeping you well-nourished. But it may not be the fanciest food out there. And it may not be restaurant food. It may be food that you have to prepare on your own. One of the reason that, reasons that life skills are so important. Um, we're talking about clothes, but we're not talking about fancy clothes or high fashion clothes. We're talking about clothes that keep you warm in the cold, that keep you cool in the heat, that keep you uh, dry in the rain and um, uh, will keep you healthy. And if you choose to, to start looking for work, then yes, you also want to find clothes that fit well and that look good on you. But some of those clothes may uh, make may not be brand new clothes. They may be used clothes. They may be borrowed clothes. Or, um, uh, you know, when you go to like a wedding, sometimes you might rent fancy clothes just to go to the wedding, but but you you don't necessarily buy them because uh, you don't go to weddings very often. So it can be very confusing, and it's something that keeping track of your spending can help you to decide because you can go back and look at what you spent your money on and really think about, well, did I need this or did I just want this? And sometimes it becomes a lot clearer after you've had it for a while or, or after you spent the money than uh, when you're making the decision. So um, I wish I had a, a more concrete answer. Um, but sometimes needs and wants are are uh, something that become more clear to us as we have more experience. Um, and there's something we should think real, real hard about because everybody has slightly different needs or slightly different um, different wants. Sometimes things like medications, for example, can be a real need if you if you have a a health conditioning a health condition that. Um, where you have to take medications or, or you could die or you could um, really, really uh, ruin your health. Well, then you might need those medications, but you maybe don't need, um, uh, you maybe don't need say a, a multivitamin uh, or a food supplement, or in some cases, things like allergy medications or something for a, a you know, for a, uh, non-threatening type of allergy. Um, so I think that's the way that I think about it is, is uh, needs are things that you, if you didn't have them, your life would be at risk. Wants are things that if you didn't have them, 
you might be uncomfortable, but you would survive and you would make it through. Does that help? Thank you. That was perfect. You're welcome. Okay, Liz, why don't you take it away? Sure. And I will just add about the needs and wants discussion is that that sometimes does take trial and error to figure out. Uh, and so you might make a mistake at some point and think, oh, this is definitely a need. And then you, you know, spend money on whatever that is. And then you think, oh, actually, it's more of a want. But you know, as I like to say, a lot of times when stuff like that happens, that just means you're human and you've learned something about life. And hopefully you can take that experience and not repeat them that again, if that's, if that is something, you know, if you decide that, you know what, that, that really nice uh, meal that I splurged on really wasn't a need. And I should have actually saved that money and put it towards this textbook that I now need to find, buy and can't buy it because I splurged on that meal. So it happens to the best of us. Uh, speaking of splurging, uh, saving is the first thing I will kind of go into a little bit more about. Um, and saving money, uh, there's really no, there's no one way to do it. But the one thing I will say is to start and do it now and do it early. There's also no minimal amount of money that you can save to make it count. So even if it's, you know, 50 cents every day, you're putting aside for something, you know, later on and just to have that, that 50 cents, it might not seem much like much at right now, but it will add up. And gradually as you, you know, come into um, more money as you grow older and get a job and do other things like that, that rate, that rate of money will increase. Um, but definitely, you know, starting to do it now and uh, build on that as as time goes by is the best approach, I think. Uh, for myself, I actually had my first savings account when I was four years old. My mom took my sisters and I into the bank and we opened up our savings accounts with our metal piggy banks that we had and dumped all our change out <laughs> and deposited that into the bank. Uh, and so um, that is how I did it when I was very, very young. I was fortunate to have uh, a supportive uh, mother who was who realized that that was going to be a helpful thing for us. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. Um, there And there are different types of accounts, as we've kind of mentioned. Uh, there's a, a savings account and a checking account. There are also different types of savings accounts. Uh, there's an account called a money market account. Um, uh, uh, actually, that's a checking account. But there are, uh, and that um, account, in addition to the money that you might put in it, let's say you put in $5, that $5 uh, in a money market account will be worth a little bit more than $5 because money market accounts are accounts that have interest that is also accruing at a faster rate than a regular savings account. So there are definitely, not to get overcomplicated, but there are definitely, it, there's more than just a checking account, your regular checking account and a regular savings account. Um, in terms of investments, 
there are different types of investments, uh, different categories of investments, uh, two, uh, two types that you may have heard about are stocks and bonds. A stock is something that can be purchased uh, from a publicly from a public company. So you can purchase a stock of say a share of a stock of say Microsoft, and then you uh, have a stake in that company because of buying that stock. Um, bonds are something a little bit different. Um, you uh, purchase a bond at a price and you hold on to that bond for a set time frame. And as long as you have held on to that bond at a set time frame, your money that you that you lent actually to the the person the entity that you um, that you uh, purchased the bond from will pay you uh, back that money in as well as interest. And uh, so that is another way to get a little bit more. Uh, money than what you initially put into it. Um, investing, though, is extremely complicated. I myself don't know all the, everything that there is to know about it. Uh, but what I will say um, is that when, if you're interested in investing, definitely research your options. Getting assistance from a, a professional who is able to help you in that area if you need that assistance. Um, and invest at the level that you're comfortable with starting out. And everyone is going to be comfortable with different things. Some people want to just invest in one type of uh, investment and put their money away in that investment and not touch it for 20 years. And then it it, it increases in value, we, hopefully. <laughs> There's also risk in investment. Uh, sometimes it shrinks, sometimes it grows. Uh, and so some people are more comfortable with more risk investments, um, putting in more money and seeing what happens. Other people are less comfortable with that and want to put in a, a, a smaller amount of money to see what happens and then increase possibly from there. Uh, but definitely research and start with what you're comfortable with and, you know, and proceed from there if you want to be more risky or less risky um, as you kind of learn and grow with your knowledge of investing. Um, in terms of, so that is the uh, very, very basic idea of investing and savings. Um, in terms of what to do to keep your money safe from those people, those who may not have your best interest at heart, um, when you are saving and putting your money into a bank, you want to make sure that that bank is covered with deposit insurance because by putting your money in a bank that is covered with deposit insurance, your money is safe from anything that might happen to it um, up to a certain amount of, of money. You can have up to a certain amount of money in a bank account and it, for it to be insured. Um, you can, and that, that, that price point or that amount is up to $250,000 is how much uh, you're, you can have in a bank account and until it's, it is no longer insured. And when you, when you reach that point, then you have to find other ways of 
insuring of um, putting your money somewhere. Maybe that is actually investing. Um, but um, the second option or second tip, there's five of these. The second tip uh, to keep your money safe from people who may not uh, who may not have your best interest at heart is to keep track of your accounts. If you have multiple accounts at different banks, make sure you know all of your accounts and where they are and what the balances it balances are of those accounts. Um, you can do this by looking online at the at the websites for the the where you have your accounts. You now with technology and smartphones and tablets. There are apps, different apps out there that you can actually add all of your accounts into one app. And so you only have to go to one particular place and you can see everything in one snapshot of a of a picture of, okay, I have my Bank of America account and then I have my Chase account, but I only had to, and then you can see your kind of full picture of things. Um, the third option, which Chris already touched on, is reviewing your credit report and reviewing your credit report frequently so that you can catch any errors if they happen so that you can alert the um, the credit bureaus that there are errors. Uh, I actually did this. Um, it was nothing major, but there were some slight discrepancies that I had to dispute and disputed them, and those things went off of my credit report, and I was very happy <laughs> at that point. Um, the, the fourth thing uh, is similar to checking your accounts and keeping track of those. You also want to check and keep track of your investments. Uh, this also includes your retirement accounts um, to make sure that they're um, le they're legitimate. Uh, if you can, if you're um, not one to want to bother with this, you actually can pay a professional who will help keep track of these things for you and make you aware of things that, you know, there might when there might be changes and things like that. So you don't have to do it on your own if you don't want to. Um, um, the number five is don't be reactive. Uh, if the, if let's say you have a stock in Microsoft and the stock market goes down and your stock price, you, you lose money, you know, it's best to just let it play out. Don't automatically get worried and think, oh my gosh, I need to get rid of the stock, it's going to go down, it will probably go back up and it very, you know, it very, it very well will go back up. It just may take some time. So just staying the course with, especially with investing is definitely uh, the best approach. Uh, if in staying the course, things don't end up changing the way you want them to, obviously at that point, then you may want to reconsider things, but don't automatically at the sign of the first sign of something not looking right. Uh, just do not be reactive. It may actually backfire uh, if you do that. Um, and then the other things I, there are two other things I wanted to mention. Uh, that was, um, uh, are if you share, uh, if you're um, clicking on, if you're activating links in emails and things like that, in any email, definitely you want to be careful to make sure that it's a, an actual link that you should be going to, especially in financial emails. There are a lot of scams that are going around. And so you want to protect yourself by making sure that the email that you're getting is legitimate. You can do this by, if you're not really sure, calling the institution that the email is from and asking them, is this a legitimate email? 
Um, most institutions will send you periodic things that say, if they notice a scam, that will say, beware of this type of scam. This is not from us. We will never ask you for your account number or credit card information in an email message. Um, and if your last thing I will say is if you're sharing your account information uh, because you need, you feel like you need to share that with someone, a trusted friend or family member to help you manage that, you know, the, the best thing to do is, is to keep it private. But if you need to share it, make sure that person is a trusted person and that they will not take that and, and take advantage of your information and your accounts, because that also happens as well. And I would not want that to happen to anyone. So those are my tips on keeping you safe from people who would like you to not be safe because they want your money. Uh, so I... I think at this point, unless you have anything to us to add, Chris, maybe we can open it up for questions. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that last part. Um, some sometimes uh, we can feel as if it's easier to allow somebody else to manage our money for us. Um, it's not always easy to access things uh, if we're blind. Not every not every app, not every website is accessible, but there are plenty of banks and financial institutions that do offer accessible services. Um, so uh, know that you don't necessarily have to give somebody else access to your accounts or to uh, give them access to manage your money for you. Um, but if if you are having somebody else like a family member manage your money for you, um, at least know what they're doing with your money. Um, we hope that we can trust our families, but um, even family sometimes can, uh, can do things that they're not supposed to do. And um, to protect ourselves, we need to at least know what's happening with our money, even if we're not... Um, actively managing it all by ourselves. I also want to just say that it's okay to ask questions. It takes a long time and a lot of experience for anyone to really learn the ins and out of good money management. And even people that maybe go into, into retirement are still learning new things that they didn't, that they didn't know. So if you don't know something, don't feel like that. Don't feel ashamed of that. Find find some people to ask, people who do know. Those people might be your friends and family, um, but you do need to be a little bit careful with advice that comes from your friends and family sometimes because we all have a tendency to give answers to questions instead of saying, I don't know. Um, that is to say, sometimes we can give people the wrong answers, not not because we're trying to trick you, but because we're afraid or ashamed to say, I don't know. So sometimes it can be a good idea to ask questions of, of uh, somebody who's not a friend or family member, like somebody at a bank or like a financial advisor. Um, and now I think it would be a good time for us to open it up for questions. We've been talking for a really long time and I hope we didn't bore you, but uh, um, please uh, please use us as uh, 
a resource for uh, asking some of those questions that you might uh, have felt like maybe you didn't know who to ask before. Before we do that, I just wanted to mention a thing that kind of take a step back from all of this and just mention in terms of managing money, if you're kind of maybe feeling a little bit overwhelmed with all of that we have talked about today, the first step I think to managing your money is, and I, I say this as a blind rehab professional, one of my tasks in living skills was teaching money's management, how to tell between coins and bills. And at least right now, the U.S. Uh, does not have accessible money in terms of bills. Uh, but just that is the first step, honestly, is knowing how to tell the difference between quarters, dimes, nickels, and pennies. And through the help of whether it's you know folding techniques, uh, if you can see enough, if you have enough vision to see the bigger number on the bill and fold it accordingly, if you want, if that's if that work for you, or you know whether you're whether you don't have enough vision maybe and you need to use an app on a, a smartphone or a tablet, or they do have uh, standalone talking money identifiers, uh, you could actually get them uh, free of charge uh, through. Uh, different avenues. Um, but that is, if if all this seems overwhelming, you're not really sure where to start. I just want to throw that out there uh, because that is where it starts is when you're handed money. Okay. How, what is this? How do I tell what this is? So that is start there if nowhere else. So I just wanted to kind of play to that. Like if this all seems overwhelming, that is completely okay. Uh, but I wanted to offer that as a as a step back, and maybe that's a an easier slice of the pie to start with. Uh, so, okay, that's all I have for now. Thank One you. of the things we were hoping to do tonight was to be able to get each of our students who doesn't already have a money identifier a money identifier. <laughs> so that was one of the things that um, we were hoping to to do and maybe find out who has one, who needs one. Um, and then I was just going to add, there's an adage I just heard the other day, Chris, it was trust, but verify. And I thought, oh, that's good. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's very good. Um, there was something that came in the chat, I think, that I missed. Was that the question Randy had about a hard credit report? Was that or? Oh, was that what the question was? I I, I didn't hear what it what it said. Um, Randy, can you ask your, que your question? Sure. Can you talk about what a hard credit inquiry is and what the possible consequences can be? Yeah. Um, so when I was talking about uh, your credit reports and credit scores earlier, um, this was one of the things that I <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up, Randy, because I was I was feeling like I was missing something, but I wasn't sure what it was. Um, whenever you apply for a loan or a credit card, the bank goes to the credit bureaus and asks for a copy of your credit file that is called an inquiry and those inquiries are actually recorded by the credit bureaus and they're added to your credit file so that banks that you might go to in the future know how many times you've applied for credit for for credit in the past um when the bank 
when the credit bureau records an inquiry on your credit file, it's called a hard inquiry. And, uh, and that can, the, having too many of those can actually uh, hurt your credit reputation. There's a different type of inquiry called a soft inquiry that does not get recorded by the credit bureaus. Um, and that happens when you request a copy of your own credit report, maybe because you want to see if uh, if all of the information there is correct or not, like Liz said she did. Um, so, so you don't have any sort of a that doesn't hurt your reputation if you if you ask for your own credit report but it might hurt your credit reputation if a bank asks for your credit report too often and typically uh having a hard inquiry about once or twice a year is okay uh, any more than that uh, can be very hurtful and can can uh uh, raise some red flags with the banks. So um, to kind of boil that down into very simple terms, if you're applying for credit cards or you're applying for loans, only do that once or twice a year. Don't go and apply for 10 credit cards in a year. That will look bad. Other questions? Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Thank you, Chris. I stepped away, Chris. This is Brandy. Um, I stepped away for a second, so I wasn't quite sure if you talked about student loans and um, the importance of taking out a student loan only if um, necessary. Uh, a lot of times schools will have tables out. And it was all dark over there. I didn't see them. I didn't say anything. Um, you know, they're very tempting, but uh, be be cautious of them because if they're not necessary, it's not extra money. <laughs> That's true. Um, so student loans are, are loans that you would take out. Um, Lisa, I don't know if you know that you're, you're not muted. Um, student loans are, are loans where you borrow money to pay for college. And a lot of colleges and universities, uh, in fact, pretty much all colleges and universities um, have financial aid offices where they will help you to apply for student loans. They will also help you to find grants and scholarships, which, it, which are money that you don't have to pay back um, to pay for college. And then, of course, uh, your rehab counselor may be able to help you uh, find ways to pay for college as well. Um, student loans are something that uh, uh, that can be uh, really damaging to us later in life. Um, you may spend a lot of money on college, and then if you, say, struggle to find a job, or if you do find a job but doesn't pay as much as you thought it was going to, you may have trouble paying off those student loans, and it can may uh, it can make it harder for you to be able to afford other things that you may need or want later in life. Um, you may have kids, and um, it's really not 
a good feeling to have to make a decision between paying for the kids food or or clothing or diapers um, or to pay your student loan payments back. So um, I, I, well, we didn't talk about student loans specifically. Um, we did talk about, about loans in general and um, borrowing money is something you want to do only when it's absolutely necessary and only when you are sure that you're going to be able to pay it back. I have a question. Thank you. Sure, go ahead. Uh, so, um, what is this um, able account thing you were mentioning? The able account? Yes, what is that? An able account is an account that you can open. It is specific to people with disabilities. Uh, at this point, it is, I don't think it's changed yet, um, but it's if you have had a qualifying disability by uh, the age of 26, I forget what when it's supposed to go up to, It's the age is supposed to change soon. I forget the year exactly, I apologize. It'll be going up to age 46 in January of 2026. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, okay. so, I knew it was 46, but I can't remember the date. Um, and you can open up this account and you can have it as a general. Uh, and each state or territory has, or I think each, many states have, have these ABLE account programs. Uh, and you don't have to open it up in your specific state. So you can shop around. Uh, for instance, my ABLE account, even though I'm in Washington, D.C., is in Massachusetts. That's just what I was comfortable with. Uh, but what it allows you to do is to put money away as savings and or as investment, if you choose to do that as well. Uh, you have those options uh, to then uh, take out at a later time for expenses that are related to your disability. Um, and you can put this money in there and have this money in there and it will not affect any of the government benefits that you might be on. So if you are receiving Social Security um, supplementary income or, SS or, or Social Security disability income, SSDI or SSI, uh, the money that you have in this account uh, is totally separate and they cannot count that towards any assets or, or uh, funds that you might have, which is the nice thing about that. Also, if uh, friends or family would like to give you a gift, maybe at Christmas time or a holiday or birthday or some such thing, graduation, they can do that and they can put it directly into your ABLE account. And so you, again, would not be penalized for that. Like you could possibly be if it was in another account and you had reached the uh, maximum allowed balance for uh, the government benefits that you might be receiving. Um, so uh, that so is. If, uh, so if you don't have anything with that, would it still be beneficial to have that kind of account? If you don't have government benefits, absolutely. Um, you, I'm just I mentioned it for those who might be receiving government benefits, or and just as a note that if you are receiving benefits, you can still have an enable account, and it will not. Be counted against your your benefit allowance or benefit so, amounts. Well, uh, why would you want to have 
uh, that kind of account instead of or in addition to a different kind of bank account, maybe like a money market account or a savings account or a checking account. So one of the one of the things about an able account um, that's different from something like a money market account or a checking account is that the interest that you earn on money that's in an able account um, is not taxed. Um, we didn't talk about taxes, but taxes are something that we also end up having to deal with as we start to make more money. If you put money into something like a savings account or a money market account, a bank will pay you interest for having that money there, but then you will pay some portion of that interest as taxes to the government, um, both to the state of California and also to the, uh, the United States federal government. So um, that is uh that is not true of money that you put in an able account. Um, when you put money into an able account, uh, the bank that administers the able account will pay you interest on that money and you will not be taxed on that interest that the bank pays you. So that's a, that's a very good reason to have, um, to have an able account over some other kind of an account because those taxes really add up. And what it comes down to is you can make more money in interest if you don't have to pay taxes on it than you would if you did have to pay taxes on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, is the money that is interest is only that portion not taxed in that account? Um, you do end up paying taxes on the what's called the principal or the amount of money that you put in the account. Um, so let's say I put $100 in my ABLE account um, from my work paycheck. Well, I had to pay taxes on that $100 when I got it from work, um, but I can put it in my ABLE account. And if, if I make $5 in interest at the end of the year from that $100, that $5 will not be taxed. Also, if my mom or dad or my grandma or grandpa or an aunt or uncle puts money into my ABLE account for me, um, they if they put in, say, $100, they have to pay taxes on the $100, uh, you know, maybe depending on how they made it. Um, but you won't have to pay taxes on that $100 when you take it out of the ABLE account. Does that start to help? Wait, so you don't have to pay taxes on the money in the bank when you take it out to spend it. Is that right? Yes. Correct. But that's a good question. Thank you for asking that. Yeah, it is a good question. Mm-hmm. It's a very good question. There's really no down. There's no downside of able account. Yeah, it's it's uh, something that's only been around for about six years now, and it's a really good thing for us because before 
ABLE accounts were around, um, if we were receiving social security, um, we could only have $2,000 in the bank or we would, or we would no longer be able to receive social security. And then we'd also have to pay taxes on that $2,000 at the bank. So, um, the government is starting to recognize that it, um, it costs more to have a disability. It can be harder for us to find jobs that pay good money. Um, and if we lose a job, it can take longer for us to find another job. And so um, they they are trying to make it easier for us to save as much money as possible to uh, be able to afford things like that, that you know, maybe uh, um, the average sighted person doesn't have to deal with so much. Different ABLE accounts do have different fees. And so that kind of goes with what I was saying earlier with researching what account might be best for you and your situation. Uh, so And so sometimes that could be thought of as a, a drawback because depending on how you might want to use the ABLE account, if you want to use it as an investment account and not just as a checking account, uh, that that might have a higher fee depending on where you go. But it, uh, I personally am really glad I did it. And I that was actually one of the things I did at the beginning of this year. Uh, and I don't know why it took me so long, <laughs> but uh, it's it's a really good thing to do. I can send out um, a document that I wrote up uh, just a couple weeks ago, all on um, the ABLE Act and ABLE accounts. And it gives information all about um, the ABLE program. And it also also gives a link to SSA's um, Blue Book, um, which lays out uh, qualified disabilities um, and the information about self-certification of disability and all that really um, helpful information. Yeah. And from from what I remember about it, Cal Abel is a really good uh, like you have a you have some de- extra benefits in your state. If you use CalAble, that uh, um, so it's a it's a pretty good program for California residents. Yeah, it is. Um, Able the Able Act was passed in 2014, and it was um, a huge advancement in uh, in the you know the rights for for disabled Americans. Yeah. Um, one of the neat features that a lot of able programs have is um and liz kind of talked about this is um a lot of them have a a way for you to set up your own gifting page kind of like your own personal gofundme where you can uh, you can tell your friends and family uh i'm saving up for a, a new braille display or something or or i need money to um to you know, because I think I'm going to have to move out of the state to to take a job, um, or I want to be prepared for that. Um, and so, rather than giving me presents, I would like you to put money in my able account to help me be prepared for the future. And you can do that by going to this page, and um, you know, by uh, by depositing the money right from from this page. Um, it can make it really easy and convenient for our family and friends to help us out to get started. They even give you a link. (laughs) Yep. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's also your money. It isn't, yes. um, it isn't controlled by your parents or by a guardian or by a trustee or anything. It belongs to you and you have the right to, um, to spend it in any way that you want, as long as you're following the rules. And that is a super powerful thing. Truly. Yeah. Yes. That's extremely powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you're... that, that maintains improves um, your quality of life, which yes. is very broad. You're yes. growing up at, at a time when, uh, when blind people and people with disabilities have a lot more power to control their own lives than we ever have before. Up until even as late as the 1970s, um, there were banks that wouldn't allow blind people to open up their own bank accounts without a sighted person co-signing. Um, what kind of stocks or bonds are good to invest in? That's a very complicated question, and it doesn't have a single answer. Um, there are stocks that are riskier than others for example blue chip stocks are stocks of very large companies that have very good um solid financial positions and have been around for a very long time um they may not uh make you as much money as um as uh something like a a growth stock would but they may be safer to invest your money in. These are companies like IBM and Johnson and Johnson, um, uh, you know, General Electric, um, uh, very large, very old companies. Then there are growth stocks, and growth stocks um, are just that. They're stocks that are growing sometimes very fast. Um, and with uh, with a lot of growth comes the risk that that growth could stop or that those the value of those stocks could actually shrink. Um, and, uh, you know, those are often newer companies, companies that we, uh, um, you know, that have just come on the scene in the last few years, companies like Roblox. Um, there are stocks that are, you know, classified as income stocks. Um, these are stocks, uh, shares of stock from companies that pay dividends. Uh, when you buy a share of stock, you you essentially own a small piece of that company, and that entitles you to uh, make some money from uh, the money that that company makes, and and they pay that back to you in the form of dividend checks where they actually will send you a check or deposit money into your account. Sometimes once a year, sometimes twice a year, sometimes once every three months, some do it every month, but uh, it depends on how well the company is doing, uh, how much they pay you in, uh, in dividends. Um, as Liz was describing, uh, bonds work differently. When you buy a bond, you're essentially loaning money to a company or a government, and they uh, are signing a contract with you to pay that money back with interest. 
So uh, that's how you make money off of off of bonds. But still, there are bonds that are more risky than other bonds. Um, bonds that are are issued by governments tend to be less risky than bonds that are issued by companies. Um, you can tell how risky a bond is by looking at at its bond rating. Um, there are bonds that are rated AAA or AA or A or B or C, um, and that uh, is is a way for you to assess how risky or not uh, those bonds are. But um, there's no one way to answer your question about which stocks and bonds are good to invest in because you may be comfortable with way more risk than I would be comfortable with. And so um, we would want to find you good stocks and bonds that are are going to make you a lot of money and um, also might be more risky than what I would be comfortable with. Uh, whereas for me, I might not pick those uh, because I might not be comfortable with as much risk as you. Um, and Um, some of that has to do with how old you are. Um, Randy is asking about a, what is a special needs trust. Um, a special needs trust is uh, is essentially a uh, a type of let's call it a savings account for lack of a better term. A trust is where money is put away in uh, in an account and. Um, it is managed by uh, a trustee. A trustee is either a person like a friend or a family member or maybe an attorney. Um, and uh, they decide how the money in that account is spent. They have to, um, they, they're obligated to spend the money for the benefit of whoever the beneficiary of the trust is. So in that, in, in the case of, uh, of a special needs trust, the beneficiary of a special needs trust is a person with special needs. That might be a blind person or a, a person who uses a wheelchair or a person who has some other sort of, of a disability. Um, the, the, one of the biggest differences, though, between a special needs trust and an ABLE account is that in the case of a special needs trust, the trustee or the executor of the trust makes the final decision about how that money is spent for your benefit. You can ask them to spend money in a certain way on you, like to buy to buy you a, a, a new Braille display or a new computer or something, but they can say no. Um, for almost any reason, if they think that they're, if that if they think that it's not to your benefit to spend that money, uh, whereas an enable account, it's your money and you can spend it however you want. Um, there's some other differences that have to do with the law and with how trusts are set up. Um, it is significantly more expensive to set up a special needs trust than it is to set up a, for example, an able account, which is essentially free. Um, but that's probably uh, more detail than we would want to get into with this audience right now. Other questions?
Mm-hmm. That's great, I, valuable information. Very. I was just going to share. Okay, I Gordon and I opened up our very first government bond last year, and we had never done anything like it, but we were told to, to do it by our finance guy. He's like, the rates are really good. I think we had to come up with a $1,000 minimum. So um, we had an ex- some extra money lying around in our emergency account. And I thought, you know, let's take 10,000 of that and, and see. So in June of 2022, we got an I-bond, put in 10,000, and we checked it the other day and it was $704 over $10,000. So I thought, wow, that's actually pretty good. Um, and I think we can leave it in there up to 10 years. So the rate has gone down since we first put the funds in, but you know, it's a good, safe way we felt to invest in, in a small way. And it's probably one of our first investments other than buying a house. That's awesome. Congratulations. I have a question. Um, can you get in trouble, like arrested, if you don't pay off your student loans or a credit card? You, you probably can. can. So um, is that Natalie? Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for that question, Natalie. So... Um, you ask, you actually kind of asked two questions. Can you get in trouble? The answer to that question is yes. Can you get arrested? The answer to that question is no, you will not get arrested if you don't pay back your student loans or you don't pay, pay back a credit card. What, what will happen and how you will get in trouble is you will ruin your credit reputation and you may not be able to borrow more money because you didn't pay back your your loans. Um, other things that could happen, if you are working, um, the, the lender may be able to contact your employer, the company that you work for, and take money out of your paycheck to pay back your loans if you haven't been doing that yourself. Um, in some cases, if you borrowed money for a specific thing, like a car, they call that a secured loan. Basically what it means is that um, if, if you don't pay back the loan for the car, then the bank will send someone out to take the car back. Um, and if you don't pay money for, if you don't pay your house payments, like if you if you bought a home and you took out a loan called a mortgage to to uh, buy a home, and then you don't make the payments on that, um, then uh, you you may get evicted from your home. Uh, basically, what that means is that the bank will send the police to your home. And the police will ask you to leave your home and you may or may not be allowed to take any of the stuff that you have in your home with you when you're asked to leave. So, yeah, you can get in some pretty bad trouble if you don't make your payments, but you can't get arrested. You won't be sent to jail. Okay, thank you. Also, this is all good information. Thank you. Thank you, and you're welcome. Good questions. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have a question. Go ahead. Uh, this is Logan, by the way. Um, when it when it comes to um, Cal Abel, you mentioned there was, there was a set of rules. Uh, what are those rules? Um, 
So the rules have to do with um, how much money you are allowed to put into the ABLE account every year. Um, actually, the uh, uh, the IRS, which is a, a federal government uh, department that's responsible for collecting taxes, uh, sets those limits. Um, so you can't put an infinite amount of money into your ABLE account every year. Um, you may, for for example, um, this year be able to put in around $17,000 this year. That amount may go up next year or it may stay the same. So that is one of the rules. Um, there are also some rules about how you spend the money out of your ABLE account. It needs to be spent on, on things that benefit you. Um, for example, you maybe could choose to buy a car if that car is going to be used by your family to drive you around. But it probably would be against the rules to buy a car for your uh, brother who lives in England and might never, ever drive you around in that car. Um, those uh, uh, there's a set of, of things that you're allowed to spend money on out of your ABLE account that are called qualified disability expenses. Um, they fall into some very broad categories and, um, uh, there hasn't been a long enough time or an, enough history to have really, um, figured out, uh, how easy or how hard it is to, to break those rules unfortunately. Um, but some of the broad categories that, that those fall into are things like housing, um, food and personal care types of things, transportation, education, work-related expenses, um, medical related expenses, uh, and, and things like that. So, um, the, at least right now, the rules essentially say that as long as you're spending money out of your ABLE account in a way that benefits you because you are the owner of the ABLE account and the beneficiary, then uh, you're you're following the rules. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Other questions? chat just popped up and i missed it yeah uh it's from lisa um can you please share briefly about emergency acts can you say more about what you're thinking lisa because i'm not sure what you're asking yeah i don't really know i'm not sure either i'd like to answer but... sorry that's accounts not acts <laughs> oh um okay <laughs> having an emergency account uh, yes yes thank you thank it you absolutely that, is important that's a lot clearer all right so we've talked about this a little bit more or, or a, a little bit earlier in in various times um you know both liz and i talked about our our careers and um liz specifically talked about times where she struggled to find work 
Um, I also struggled to find work and I didn't think to talk about that uh, with you as much as, as Liz did, but I'm glad it came up. Um, throughout life, things go wrong. Um, we may have a great job and then we may lose that job and it may not be our fault. It may be uh, that the company that we work for decides that they don't need somebody to do that job anymore um, or that they go out of business or they're having money troubles themselves and they can't afford to pay us anymore. Um, so uh, if we're working, there's always that possibility that we might not be working later on. But um, and if we're not working later on, we still need to pay our bills, right? So having an emergency fund or an emergency account where we set aside savings um, to be able to cover those bills if we no longer have money coming in is a really good thing. Um, other types of, of emergencies that can come up, um, medical emergencies, uh, sometimes you might uh, you might get hurt. You might, you know, have an accident. You might uh, have health conditions that change suddenly and um, put you, uh, you know, make make it so that you have to go to the doctor, put you in the hospital, things like that. Um, sometimes those things cost money, and being able to pay for them uh, without having to borrow money is feels a lot better than um, than having to borrow money. Uh, so again, that is another reason to have an emergency fund or an emergency account. Um, and then if you do choose to buy a home or you choose to own a car or um, other expensive things, um, things can go wrong with your home and need to be fixed. And uh, some sometimes those things may need to be fixed in a hurry. If your hot water heater suddenly goes out it can feel a lot like an emergency if you're taking a shower in cold water. Um, and so being able to, to be able to buy a new hot water heater and have it installed uh, using cash rather than having to borrow money can be really great. That's another benefit of, a, of an emergency fund. If you have a family car, um, cars break down, fixing them can cost money. That's another valid reason to spend money from an emergency fund um if you have assistive technology that you use um that you depend on to do your job or to do or to run a business or something or somehow to make money or even to go to school some of that technology is very expensive and if it breaks you uh you may want to have some cash set aside to be able to repair it or replace it and that is another important reason to save money in an emergency fund. Um, I I don't love the term emergency fund, though, because sometimes emergencies don't come up, but sometimes opportunities do. I talked about the uh, woman that I helped um, who was offered a a great job in another state she didn't have any kind of savings and that was one of the reasons why she struggled to decide whether she uh, could afford to move to take that job or not um, so sometimes an emergency fund can be thought of as an opportunity fund you don't want to miss those things when they come up you don't want to 
not be able to afford something and have to say, I can't take that job because I can't afford to take that job. Um, or I can't take that trip or I can't go to, uh, um, you know, I can't go to accept this award because I can't afford it. Um, so there's lots of, lots of sort of good things that, uh, you might choose to, to, uh, uh, use your emergency fund for rather than, uh, straight up emergencies. Um, so when you start, um, Yes, I got that too. When you start uh, um, to make to make money, as Liz was kind of saying, yeah, you know, put a little bit aside into savings. One of the first things you want to build up is an emergency fund, because uh, once you've got that built up, built up, it's going to be a lot easier to keep rolling on and adding more savings uh, over time. Um, one of the ways that our savings grows is through compound interest. Um, we talked about interest in two different ways uh, earlier. If you borrow money, either by taking out a loan or by spending money from a credit card, a bank will charge you interest, meaning that you have to pay them to borrow that money. Um, and they charge you more and more interest for the for you know as long as you have have that money borrowed um there is another kind of interest if you keep money in a bank um the bank pays you money to have money in the to have the money in their bank essentially and as the bank pays you money and you start to have more money in the bank so they pay you more money to have that more money in the bank. Let me give you an example. Um, if you have a savings account that pays 5% interest annually, that's every year, and you put $100 in that savings account uh, this year, at the end of the year, you are going to earn $5 in interest. And... you will have $105 in your account as soon as the bank pays you that interest, maybe on New Year's Day. Now, if you let that money sit for another year, you won't just get paid another $5 in interest. You're going to get paid $5 and a few cents because they will pay you for 5% of the $105 that you had in your account in the previous year. So now you're going to have $110.25 in your account. On the third year, you will have $115.76 in your account. On the fourth year, you will have $121.55. Fifth year, $127.35. 140, 147, 155, and so on and so on. So as you let your money sit there longer and you earn money from interest, you get paid more interest, which means 
that your money grows faster and faster and faster the longer you let it sit there. And that's just if you let $100 sit there for, say, 10 years. So imagine what happens if you put $100 a month away and you're earning interest on it. So you're causing that money to grow faster by putting it away by putting money away on a regular basis and you're earning interest on that money which is causing it to grow faster without you doing anything. It's a little bit like rolling a snowball downhill. Snowball starts out small and it starts rolling slowly but as it um, as it gets further and further down the hill, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it starts rolling faster and faster and faster. And as it rolls faster and faster and faster, it also gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So by the time it gets to the bottom of the hill, you have a huge, huge snowball that you accumulated from just uh, starting out with a little tiny ball of snow at the top. No day. Snowball fight. Snowball fight. Yeah. I have another question. Go ahead, Logan. Um, so like say for instance, you know, like I took out like like a couple thousand a hundred thousand dollar loan to buy like a replica Batmobile or something. Okay. They put interest on that. Yes. When I go to pay the loan, what gets what gets paid first? Do they pay the interest off or do they pay the loan amount? That's a really good question, Logan, and it's a very perceptive question. Um, it depends on the loan, and it depends on the terms and conditions of the loan. But in a lot of cases, the interest gets paid first, and only later on in the life of the loan do you start paying the principal. That's called amortization, and uh, it may start out that you pay, let's say you 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 took out a $100,000 loan um, and it was going to take you 30 years to pay that off uh, to have your replica Batmobile. I love the idea, by the way. Um, So in the first year, you might, let's say you have to pay $1,000 a month. You might pay $900 in interest and you might pay $100 towards the principal or towards actually paying off the loan in that first month. Maybe it goes down to $890 in interest in the second month and 885 in the third month. Gradually, you start to pay more and more towards the loan and less and less toward uh, less and less to interest. But at least first starting out, you're mostly paying interest and you're not seeing that the amount that you owe go down very much at all. Now you do have the option though um, to pay more than what they're asking you to pay per month. So if they say you have to pay $1,000 per month and you're going to have to do that for the next 30 years, you can always say, I want to pay $1,100 a month or $1,500 a month or $2,000 a month and pay that loan off faster. And that's a good thing to do because it can save you a lot of money and interest over time. Um, Quick question. Okay. I don't know if you already went through this, um, but I've been hearing a lot of like commercials saying like that, like I, it's not about like savings account or anything, but like the FICO score. Mm-hmm. 
Is that the same thing as the credit score or is that the, like something different? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when we talk about credit scores, um, we we actually don't have really one credit score. A credit score is a calculation that a bank makes based on what's in your credit file. And when they talk about a FICO score, what they're really talking about is the the formula that's used to calculate your credit score. Um, the FICO score is one uh, one formula um, that is used to calculate the score. Uh, it's it's the most common one that banks use. Um, there's also something called Vantage Score, which is uh, something that you'll see a lot if you check your credit score from something like Credit Karma, or um, often your bank will have a way to, for you to look up your credit score through your bank's website or app. Um, those are often Vantage Scores, which is a, using a slightly different formula than a FICO score. Um, Typically, it doesn't matter too much uh, whether you're looking at your FICO score or your Vantage score. Um, what really matters is the direction it's moving. Is your credit score going up or is it going down or is it staying the same? Um, you know that your credit is healthy if you see your credit score going up or if it's staying the same and it's already really high. Um, if your credit score is going down, and then it might be something to worry about. And it really doesn't matter whether it's your FICO score going down or your Vantage score going down because um, they at least are similar enough that if your Vantage score goes down, your FICO score is also going to go down. Um, but some companies will uh, offer you a service where you can pay for them to give you your credit score. Um, or if you sign up for their service where they give you your credit score. Um, you may not pay them anything, but they may send you ads. Um, typically, they send you ads for credit cards, uh, kind of ironically. Um, uh, and because banks tend to use the FICO score more than they use the Vantage score when they're uh, deciding whether they should lend you money or not, um, you know, some companies have said have tried to uh, make their services more attractive by saying, we'll give you your your actual real FICO score instead of your Vantage score. So yes, um, in answer to your question, that is talking about your credit score. Um, Lisa, you had a couple of questions I saw in the chat. And then um, I apologize, but I'm going to have to cut this off because it's um, where we are on the east coast and, and central time it's getting really late here so i apologize for going over these guys have such great we really appreciate it I, yeah i think we're gonna Absolutely. have to have you guys back because and i don't want to forget about the uh money identifiers i know that was something that had been brought up so maybe we can connect oh, yes after thank you somehow but uh but i do want to i don't want to lose that yes Thank you. There was a question. I forget what the questions were in the chat now. Yeah, uh, but I do too. Um, <laughs> Lisa or Randy, can either one of you access the chat? I can go in there, but uh, it'll take me forever. 
Um, my question was just the importance of automating savings. Oh, yes. Thank you. It is extremely important. And it's important because if it's automated and you're automatically putting money away in terms of a certain amount, you know, $5, $10, $15, whatever it might be, you're not seeing that money. It's still yours. It's just coming out of, let's say, your paycheck and going into a different account. So you're still getting that money. It's just not in your main account. And so kind of the whole, you know, I don't, I don't see it. I, I won't be apt to spend it. Uh, and so that is absolutely a way to keep yourself honest and on target with saving. Uh, if you automate things and same with automating bill payments and things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's that kind of logic as well, where if they're automated, they automatically come out every month. And it's one thing that you don't necessarily have to worry too much about. Although with those, I always caution myself and anyone else, be vigilant and watch and make sure that the amount that has been taken out is what you think it should be. Uh, that is actually one of the, the reasons I will sometimes hesitate to do that because I want to see that for myself and manually pay it. Uh, so there are certain things that I'll do it with, but not everything. But absolutely, automating savings is a definite, you know, in my opinion, you know, do it. There's no reason not to. Yeah, I can piggyback on that. This is Brandy. Um, when I, in my in my job, um, when I get my, my yearly... Um, uh, raise for uh, cost of living raise. Um, I tend to just take that and put that right into my my uh, my retirement um, because I figure, well, this year I, you know, I, if I don't know about it, um, I can't spend it. So I'll put it right into my retirement. Speaking of retirement, I wanted to mention this too, and it may be a far away, a long away kind of a topic for, for many of you, but it will need to be on your mind at some point in the future and better now than later. Uh, if, if in getting a job, your employer for your retirement account says, I will match your contribution up to 2%. Automatically, in my, my opinion, take that money. At, and put in 2% of your paycheck because if you only put in 1%, you are missing out on money that is quote unquote free that you would have gotten if you had put in the 2%. So automatically, if, if your employer is going to match any contributions to that account, your retirement account, you know, find a way to, to put that in yourself and match that to its full potential if you are able to do that because that is, if not, then you are losing free money and that doesn't happen all the time so that is a tip uh, that i wanted to mention sure. i think we'll take um i think we'll take one more question and then yeah we'd be happy to come back and um <laughs> you can always send questions to us by email um thank you and we have a an 800 number that you know if, if you want to give us a call we can talk through things that way too Thank you so much. But I was just wondering, um, so does Penny Forward like just do things like this, like workshops and stuff? Or how does it like, and if you mentioned it earlier, I know you said it, it, it is, it's an organization. Yes, but. we have different types of things that we do. We do things like this workshops. Yes, we also have self-paced, fully accessible online courses that we deliver. We have five of them currently on different topics related to financial 
uh, concerns, uh, credit, debt, budgeting and banking basics, social security and taxes. Uh, and so uh, on our website, you can pennyforward.com, you can look at those courses. Uh, we have different types of membership options, membership tiers, uh, the first of which is a guest membership, uh, which is uh, could be yours at no cost to you, and you could get a sampling of the things that we, we offer. Uh, we do also offer for uh, those members who are paying members, we offer uh, weekly group chats similar to this uh, for members. We also, for all of our members, are currently offering once a month a monthly member meetup. We really like alliteration for those who may not know, uh, but a monthly member meetup where those of you uh, at any membership level who have decided that you think what we do is important enough to join us on our journey can get together with us and meet us in kind of an informal way and ask questions and whether they be financial related or just related to what we do and who we are. Uh, but we... And we're growing in terms of ideas and and other things like that. So that, that's that's a basic. Those, but yes, we do offer these kinds of things, but other things as well. If you would like more information, please visit the Careers Plus page at societyfortheblind.org. You can also email us at iCanPod at societyfortheblind.org. That's E-Y-E-C-A-N-P-O-D at societyfortheblind.org. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye, everybody.